Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show. Today is the triumphant return of the Thursday Club. I've managed to round up the gang and we are back talking all things Fulham every Thursday from now until the end of the season. And of course, I'm joined by Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. How are we doing? Good, thank you. And Peter Rutzler back in rainy London. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Jack. How are we? Good. How have you adjusted to life back uh, back home? Seamlessly. Uh, I've uh, adjusted to not having um, a boulangerie around the corner. That's um, a bad adaptation, isn't it? Having to uh, cope with Sainsbury's instead. Um, but all in all, yeah, no, really good. That's good to be back in town busy season ahead <laughs> I know that uh, I feel like people have been asking as much about your future as they have for the likes of Alexander Mitrovic and Marco Silva so can you confirm you're doing a bit of PSG and a bit of Fulham this season until further notice yeah I don't think it's quite as much as that but uh, yeah so uh, I'm doing both PSG and Fulham this season so um, obviously based in London um, so probably uh, at the moment it's edging more PSG than it is Fulham. I think it's the best way of putting it. But um, it's yeah, it's both clubs for me. You'll be at the big you'll be at the big ones basically. Yes, yes, pretty much. I think I'll be doing most of the games for Fulham. But okay. it's it's just dependent um, on where the fixtures are, what's going on. So it's quite it's quite fluid. But um, yes, that's that's the that's the news. That's the that's the main thing we want. We want the stories of Rutzler on various modes of transport going up to the northwest on a cold Saturday. That's that's really what we all want to see. So I'm glad that that can continue. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm glad to please the people. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, there's a lot to catch up on. Obviously, Jack and I have been doing pods uh, throughout the summer, but we actually held a few things back from a couple of recent episodes. We were like, Let, let's wait for Peter yes. um, for that one. So in today's episode, obviously just a general roundup of all the latest goings on. But in part two, I think we want to talk about if there is a life after Metro, and that seems like a little bit more of an if, you know, what what's Marco Silva going to do? How are Fulham going to evolve tactically without the main talisman who has been the fulcrum of Fulham for five and a half years? Um, at the end of the show, as ever, uh, we will have this will catch on uh, and some questions. Of course, it's the Thursday Club. It wouldn't be the Thursday Club without it. So let's just get into the latest goings on. And, and Peter... I mean, we. I'm starting every pod at the moment with the Mitrovic saga. It's been going on for weeks. And then you reported on Sunday that he's back in training. I was like, okay, can I get excited? Is he staying or is it just a formality that he couldn't just stay on the sidelines doing shuttle runs on his own forever? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You can't just have him... You can't do nothing doing shuttles and whatever. You know, if he wants to go to a new club, you'll want to be fit. Um, but also the reality is there hasn't been that next bid. There hasn't been a bid that Fulham, uh, you know, re- meets Fulham's valuation of him. So he's a Fulham player. <laughs> um, I mean, it's we've still got a long way to go in the, in the transfer window. Obviously, it's not an ideal sort of situation where you have a player who has wanted to leave the club and has not been particularly happy and you've got to try and work out a way to bring him back into the fold. How involved is he going to be? And then also for your own planning, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's an issue. I think Marco Silva spoke to that um, before his final summer series game um, where he confirmed that Mitrovic was back in training. And, um, you know, I think what, I mean, it puts, it's, it is a lot on the manager to try and get him back involved and, um, to what degree that that's actually possible, whether Mitrovic is still in that headspace for that. Um, and it, it, and you know, he spoke, he, he described that, you know, that's, that's, he's always had a good relationship with him. We know that we've seen the form that Mitrovic has, has been under since, since Silva's come in. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't sort of bet against, you know, Silva getting him back on side, but um, there is still that uncertainty. I think just to go back to the original point, like it's still not clear what, 
is going to happen. Um, I'll be at the Hoffenheim game this weekend. It'll be interesting to see what, if any, involvement there is for Mitrovic. Um, because being in training does not necessarily mean he sees him in the plans going forward. So, um, yeah, as it stands, I mean, there's been the, the two Al-Halal bids were rejected. Al-Halal have, have since gone and, you know, thrown money at some of the biggest players in Europe. We saw the, the bid for Kylian Mbappe, um, the bid for Victor Osimhen now. Um, you wonder whether that, that window is sort of shut. Um, you know, they made two bids for Mitrovic, both were rejected. Um, I think I reported, you know, that those close to the player were thinking that Fulham wanted much more than the 40 million that um, was, was, uh, was offered in their, in their second bid. Um, you know, the, the, the reality speaks for itself. You know, there hasn't been a bid that's met Mitrovic's valuation. And until that changes, he's a Fulham player. So Jack, I remember at the start of this whole saga, I comforted myself by saying, well, Mitrovic isn't the type of player to go on strike. He's not the kind of player to not try on the pitch if he was selected. Marco's got a headache, right? Assuming this isn't done by Everton. I think this will roll on all the way until the end of the window. I'm still completely unsure how this ends, but probably likely that he'll be available for selection within the squad for that opening Everton game. What do you do? Because I don't know. Because it's in one hand you've got to play Mitrovic but on the other I don't know it feels like a risk yeah it's a it's a really difficult situation right and 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 a lot of it you know you have to put into context that things being said by agents etc are not always reflective of the entire mood within you know a player's camp and things can be blown out of proportion and changed and you know a couple of weeks ago we saw that there was that chat about I'll never play for Fulham again I don't I don't see that I don't see yeah. that. Now, if he wants to go, he wants to go and that's fine. And if he's decided that this summer is the time that he really wants to make the move and he's really unhappy because Fulham rejected that bid and so he's going to move wherever it is in order to to move away from the club, then we have to accept that. But I think that ultimately he would be incredibly foolish to go on strike and not play for the club considering there's Euros at the end of this year. Right, there, there is a European Championship that so he's going to want to play in at the end of this season, and that's a you know a big thing to be doing to go. Okay, cool. I'm not going to play for this season. And, and actually, weirdly, we've been talking about it, ranks about Mbappe, you know, and, and PSG saying, "Well, no, we're not going to play him. We're not going to play." Him. Well, are you not? Because I'd imagine there'd be some serious pressure from the France national team to be like, he needs to be getting games ahead of this championship. I, I think similarly about Mitrovic, but maybe from a more personal standpoint he knows that he's got competition for those striking roles for Serbia he knows that they they are not guaranteed starts for him and mm. he will want to make sure that he is in good form going up into that competition and I think that it would be foolish of him to to make any aggressive abrasive statements at this point yes he can agitate for a move that's perfectly within his wheelhouse it's perfectly reasonable for a player to do that but to suggest that he wouldn't be selected if he was at Fulham come the 1st of September, I think is a bit of a madness. But we'll see. As you say, I'm not sure what that means for the first couple of games of the season. I would imagine that if he's available, he will sit down and talk with Marcus Silva and there will be that discussion over whether he should play or not. And between them, I trust him to work it out. Yeah, fingers crossed something can be worked out. I feel like it's going to be a lot of uncertainty really until that uh, deadline. 1st of September, by the way, is the date that you've got to wait for. The Friday before the Man City game um, is the date. So there's, there's less than a month to go, but what a long month um, it's it's going to be. Um, Peter, incomings. Um, there seems to be now, I thought it was looking pretty likely about Callum Hudson-Odoi. And a rumour from earlier in the summer has kind of resurfaced with, with Damari Gray. Um, I was very happy with the Callum Hudson-Odoi rumour. I was never that certain that Damari Gray was was that real, although it was reported by some reputable sources at the time when, when that came out. So clearly Fulham, once again, looks like we're maybe hedging our bets, similar to what we did with the centre-backs and Bassi and Salasu, just making sure that we, we've got different options and we're not completely wedded to one. Yeah, Fulham always have a list of targets that they work through. Um, Damari Gray has been a target. Um he seems like an option that that could work again. He's, I think he's he's not he's not really training at Everton uh, at the moment. I think we reported um, with my colleagues um, David Ornstein and, and Paddy Boyland. But he he's he's one who 
I think stylistically doesn't really suit what Sean Dyche wants from a winger. I mean, that's sort of the the assessment from from that side of things um, at Goodison Park. So um, definitely a player that could be available, a player that can make a difference is actually quite important for them. Um, it has been over the last couple of seasons with, with key interventions at key moments. Again, we see the same sort of profile of player that Fulham like to go to and have done since Silver's appointment, which is that Premier League experience. That means a minimal amount of time for adaptation and um, can hit the ground running, really. Um, but yeah, I think I think going back to your point, um, you know, I think Callum Hudson-Odoi would be a terrific signing. I think, you know, 22 years old, um, best years ahead of him. Seems like he's interested in the move. I know uh, that Fulham have had a, had a bid rejected for him. Um, I think also it's worth noting that Silva said, I think on during the summer series that he wants two wingers. Um, I was just going through the squad that Fulham have at the moment. And I think what it's, it's, it's Willian, it's Harry Wilson, it's Bobby Decker Dover Reed. And you consider that, um, that in the summer that Niskins Cabano left, Manuel Solomon yeah. left. Stansfield, um, I guess. But... Stansfield. Yeah. But I think he'll want minutes and I don't think mm. he'll get the minutes necessarily in the Premier League I mean he hasn't had too many in the summer series and um, I think his stage in his career he'd probably want to to kick on from his Exeter loan um, so yeah I mean I I mean Pereira can play wide but you don't you, you want some natural wingers you know how important they are to the to the way Silver plays and his tactical setup so yeah I, I wouldn't rule out both um, but um, we'll have to to see how the negotiations go with with, with both players I always remember, Jack, when Damari Gray played in the game that Fulham lost 5 to a, a real dark, dark day at the cottage when we lost 5-2 to Birmingham, I yeah. believe Kit Simons' final match. Damari Gray, I mean, he was, he was, it was his first season. I, I wouldn't know what age he was, must have been about 17, 18. And he didn't score that day, but he was electric um so he's got good pedigree at the cottage i'd say that was probably one of his breakout games for birmingham um in in that season and he's gone to bigger and brighter things and probably another case of a player who hasn't quite reached the ceiling that maybe th- people thought he would do I- i'd kind of put him in like an andreas Pereira kind of camp as someone that's was talked about as having a huge ceiling. I guess Callum Hudson-Odoi as well. Huge ceiling, hasn't quite found it, but I mean, you only have to see the goal he scored at the, the Etihad last season for, for, mm. for Everton, that he's got undoubted quality when 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 he can turn it on. Yeah, I mean, inconsistency has been the kind of buzzword for his career, I think. And mm. and so it's not the kind of... I, I like the idea of Hudson-Odoi because it feels like a, a recovery project. And and it feels like the kind of thing that Silver could get behind. So Mario Gray feels less like that. I don't know why. It's I think it's because of those spurts of genius we've seen, but they have been so few and far between. They have been inconsistent. Yes, I, I agree with Peter in that he's clearly not a Dice winger. You know, Dice wants his wingers to to hit the byline, to get those balls into the box, to to make the and find Chris Wood. The kind of simple decisions and find Chris Wood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, even though Chris Wood isn't there, it, it's like, but it does feel like one of those moves where, you know, he he's the kind of winger that wants to cut inside, make things happen. And that is how Silver likes his wingers to operate. So on that regard, I think it's, it's a nice little bit of business. I'm just completely unconvinced that Demara Gray is, going to hit the heights that we've seen from from other players under silver I, I don't know what it is i and I, you know i'd love to be wrong here i really would love to be wrong but it just doesn't excite me in the way that maybe something like Pereira last year did mm-hmm. in that way i was like there was definitely something that can be unlocked here i think that we didn't get to see that at manchester united with, with Pereira, and he obviously struggled a little bit at lazio as well when he was on loan there I think Grace had his opportunities and not taken them, which is a slightly different thing to someone who's not been given the opportunities to really showcase their talent. And so that's why I suppose I would put it in a slightly different category. But mm. that said, we've seen, you know, we've seen silver term players around. We've seen that Gray would fit systemically a little bit more than he does at Everton. And yeah, I mean, Willian had one really good game at the cottage for Arsenal and then didn't perform again. Maybe we can uh, see a similar kind of recovery project after that performance at the cottage <laughs> from Tamari Gray. 
It does seem, it does feel like a trend over the years of we just tend to sign players that just had like one unbelievable game at the cottage. Uh, the, the prime example of that all the way back to Maladon Petric, who scored the best free kick I've ever seen. And then we signed him a, a few Absolutely. years later. Sh- shambles that we didn't sign Vito Manone after he had his one world-class game in goal against <laughs> us all those years. But. God, yeah, I forgot about that. He single-handedly just kept us at bay that day. Um Peter, there's a few rumours that are in the background. I still feel like one like Murato still feels like it could could happen. Andre as well. I've heard less about these in the last few days. Um, maybe just a bit of a platform to to share anything else that's kind of bubbling away in your WhatsApp um, that, that people could get excited by other than the kind of main ones that we've been talking about. Yeah, well, my WhatsApp's a mess, so I don't think you're going to get much out of that. Um, <laughs> I'd, lo- I'd, I'd love a peek. <laughs> I bet it's fun. I bet it's all sorts. <laughs> um, yeah. Murato, I've not really reported anything on him. I don't think Benfica would want to sell him anyway. Um, Andre. Andre, yeah. So Liverpool have made contact with Fluminense about uh, Andre. Um, we reported that yesterday. Obviously, they're trying to pursue Romeo Lavia, so whether that's a make weight in that... Um, I'd never had it confirmed that Fulham had made anything official with 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 Andre in terms of um, their their interest in him. Um, but yeah, there are still positions Fulham need to, to address. We talked about wingers, uh, right backs, the other one. I think um, I, I don't see a future for Kevin and Babu while Silver's in charge at Fulham. Uh, obviously, still on the books, and that may may complicate things. You know, a reported interest in Timothy Castagna. I know there's been other right backs of interest. I think Castagna is a, an expensive one if Fulham were to do it. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's a few. It's it's it, nothing seems to be particularly advanced that can get everyone exciting if, if that's what we're after. Yeah, that's a sh- that's a shame. I mean, Jack, we, we I was going to mention it on Monday's podcast, but it's interesting, really, with 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 Silver's clear desire to have two players in every position, and one thing that. I think you mentioned um, on Monday about Calvin Bassey was obviously the fact that he can also play left back as well as, well, you're not, we're not sure about him left centre back in a, in a back four. You're more certain of him left centre back in a back three. I guess though, the advantage of someone signing someone like Bassey who can play a couple of positions is that Silva will get his wish for having multiple positions covered without having to have someone in like Cedric Suarez last year, who was a right back. And I know he could play a little bit on the left, but he mostly was just a right back. And you get upset players when they're coming in thinking they might have a chance in number one. And then when you've got Kenny Tete ahead of you, unlikely you're going to break past Kenny Tete unless really Kenny has an injury. So it feels to me like maybe we need to be kind of finding more players that have just got a little bit of versatility so that Silva can still get his wish of double cover whilst also keeping people happy because maybe there's a couple of different positions they can cover, more likelihood of actually making the team. We all dream of a team of Bobby Reeds, is basically what you're saying. Um, <laughs> yes, literally. Yes, I, I can understand what you're saying. I, I think that we will look for a fullback that can cover both sides. I, I think that that's the natural thing to do. And we talked about Balotore, right? And we talked about this. Why would he come into Fulham when he's looking for first team football when he knows that Anthony Robinson is undisputed number one and he'd have to displace him as opposed to signing for a club where he would go straight in as that left back to start the season. I think that's a it's a fair point to make, I think, at this point. So I agree. Yeah, I think we're going to be looking for players who can do different things. I There's, there's a really strange dichotomy here in that obviously you want cover in every position for when things go, you know, if there's injuries, et cetera, et cetera. But I do worry that without European football, and we talk about this a lot for European clubs, I, I think if you're playing European football, you want two players in every position, two strong candidates in every position that you can rotate in and out. And, and you can keep players fairly happy when with that. You see, see Alphonse Areola at West Ham. Yeah, exactly. But I think that without that, you start to struggle a little bit in terms of, of game time. So I completely get what you're saying and I completely agree. I think the Fulham will look for those. I don't, I think that Bassi has been signed to play centre-back and, and, and I will kind of reiterate that because Silva came out and said, right, we're, we're covered at centre-back now. I don't think we are. Mm. I think we'll look for one more. I, I really do. I think that there is a space still in this squad for one more centre-back, if especially if Tosin goes. Um, I think that a lot will depend on that, surely. I mean, that's the other factor with, with a club like Fulham. It's You have the players on the books that you have. You don't want to end up with you know, Too many. selling someone who doesn't actually go. Obviously, Tosin's in a situation where he's got a year left on his contract and they're not 
the contract negotiations have broken down. So it, it's it, he's going to go either this year or next year unless something changes on that front. So there is a longer term perspective there. But as it stands, there's four. So I can see why Silver might go, yeah, we're okay at centre-back, but these are more priority. And clearly Winger is you know a main one at the moment. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. The other one that's been mentioned is Fausto Vera, who plays for Corinthians. He signed last year for Corinthians from Argentinos Juniors. So he's already made a move in the last year or so. There's talk about his Fulham being linked with him relatively extensively across across social media. He's an interesting one. Ange Postacoglu tried to sign him last summer for Celtic. So I, he was keeping an eye on him there. Um, he's a nice player, plays defensive midfielder. He's like a kind of recycle the ball defensive midfielder. He, he keeps possession. He's sensible. He likes to play one or two penetrative passes a game when he starts to see the you know the game open out. But most of the time, he's pretty safe in possession. Um, but he's really press resistant, and I really like it the way he can move out of out of the press and we, he can play with his back to goal and, and and flip a defender and actually get teams into transition. I really like his passing range is good. He's not the most creative player in in, in the world, but just generally. Maybe a little bit volume light in terms of jewels would be my my concern if we're if we're bringing him in as a six. Um, you know, he he doesn't tend to make the kind of tackles and interceptions that you look for in someone like a like a Joao Polinia, But he's brilliant in picking away interceptions. Um, re- mm. really good at just reading the game, reading space, breaking up play in that kind of regard. Um, but I do wonder if Fulham are looking for a kind of physical presence to challenge Polina slash back up Polina in the middle of the park there if it's a slightly different it's a slightly different profile of player so it'd be interesting to see how that one develops but a, a really intriguing player Fausto Vida and someone that I'd be very intrigued you know very excited if Fulham signed but I just yeah. wonder how we would utilize him because he's a slightly different kind of number six to someone like Joao Polina. And another one for the Lucifone 11 that we're, that we're slowly building. Yeah, the Lucifone 11. No, oh, no, he's not. He's not Brazilian. He's Argentinian. Oh, he just plays in Brazil. He plays in Brazil. That, that said, that he might, um, he might, he might be able to uh, to pick up on it from his time at Corinthians. You never know. Oh, okay. I don't know if you guys saw the brilliant video of um, I think it was Andreas and Willian um, waking up. Jao Polina on their uh, on their private jet back from the states. I think kind of giving them a hot, the hot, like pretending it was a crash or something like that. Uh, and obviously Jao Polina woke up pretty scared. Best part of it is just Marco Silva turning around in his chair, just judging the children making a noise back there. He's just like, oh, you guys. Um, also, uh, if you guys haven't listened to the um, Andreas interview that uh, on Tim Ream's American Dream podcast, well worth a listen. Um, Andreas is fantastic. He talks a little bit about the kind of antics the likes of of Willian he calls Jao Polina really boring uh which is uh which is quite funny and just all of the um and obviously it seems like Carlos Vinicius is just the joker of the pack um it's uh it's a really fascinating interview and he someone talks about tweeted how, it the uh, other day and I can't remember who it was for the life of me so I apologize in advance but they were like I don't care if he scores zero goals this season Carlos Vinicius is the glue holding this club together and I was like yeah. yes pretty much it feels like that from pre-season yeah, he, he just looks absolute jokes. There was another video on preseason where I'm not really sure why even Raul Jimenez was getting involved after about two days where they were just rolling under a pool table seemingly for no reason. But it uh, to, to, if you're in the room, it looked like the funniest shit ever. Um, so I'm I'm all for the antics of, uh, of, of Carlos Vinicius and co. Um, just finally, before we end part one, Jack, Pink, do you like it? Do you hate it? I like it, but I, I do think it looks like a training kit. I, I don't know if it's the all blacked out logo, the blacked out badge, and then the blacked out sponsor. But I just think it looks like a training kit. But I mean, just as a colorway, I'm in. I'm in. Yes, old. Peter, are you going to be rocking that in the press box? Uh, probably not in the press box. Um, that might raise a few eyebrows, but I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah. Big fan. Okay. Yeah. I loved all the Barbie Oppenheimer comparisons yesterday between our uh, our away kit and our and our, and our very <laughs> standard traditional home kit. I'm all for it. Anything that gets away from the the mint and the supposed cottage brickwork of of last year, which was quite clearly proven just to be an Adidas template, um, it, I'm I'm all for um, anything a little bit different and exciting. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm dangerously close to getting out my credit card uh, for that one, despite me very rarely buying new kits. 
minutes. Right, we'll take a break there. Afterwards, we're going to look into Marco Silva's potential tactical setup for the next season. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast It's Sammy here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler on the Thursday Club. It's great to have the gang back. Just a quick message from me. Thank you to everyone that continues to support Fulhamish in the Fulhamish community. It's a way of us funding our pods, our articles, our videos throughout the season. Uh, if you aren't subscribed already, we'd absolutely love to, uh, you to subscribe. It's a small amount per month, but it hugely, hugely helps us keep all our content going uh, and paying our contributors for their time. If you'd like to join the link is in the description of this podcast or you can find all the details in the support section of the Fulhamish website and if you're already in the community thank you as a bonus you get access to our telegram chats and they've been popping off all summer the transfers chat is genuinely probably my go-to for seeing if anything breaks so um, yeah thank you to everyone already supporting us and if you do wish to support us link is in the description right let's get into some tactical chat um, about next season now this kind of depends on will there be Mitro there next season or won't there let's maybe on the basis for now assume that he's not going to be there and I don't want to assume that but you've got to kind of prepare for the worst I assume if he's there it's going to be fairly similar to what we saw last year considering there actually hasn't been that much personnel loss so Jack I know that you kind of um we're going to touch on this on Monday and we said no let's save it for Peter let's save it for Peter so there's lots of ways that Marco can tackle life without Mitro. He's a very um, unique player. There aren't too many Mitrovic's in the world. And Marco did build a system seemingly around him. So losing him would be a big shift. And we kind of saw that Vinny came in last season. He did okay, but it was very much a stopgap. And I think if we'd have had to do 38 games like that, we'd have been in the race for relegation, let's say. I think we we can probably all acknowledge that. Um so what are your thoughts with what Silver may or may not do next season? Does it involve a back three? Do we stay with four at the back? What are your thoughts? My question mark is actually not if Mitrovic goes, it's actually if he stays. Because I think that there is a world that we see a, a back three and two strikers up top. Obviously, you have to keep moving forward in football right you standing still is going backwards especially in the premier league and i think that whilst fulham's energy and front foot press and the rest will have maybe surprised teams a little bit last year who were expecting us to to sit in and be more defensive i don't think teams will get caught out by the same thing again now the flip to that is that fulham won most of our points against teams around and below us which is what you really need to do to survive you know to challenge at the top you need to occasionally give someone a bloody nose. But to survive, you need to beat the teams around you and at the bottom of the table. That, that's how it's done. And so there is an element of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I just think that with three strikers at the club, if Mitrovic stays, and to be honest, even if he doesn't, I think Fulham go out and replace Mitrovic. I don't think Fulham start a season with Raul Jimenez and Carlos Vinicius as the two options up top. I, I, I just don't buy it. So... If that happens, I think there's going to be three strikers on the book. So I don't think Vinny's going anywhere. I think Muniz will leave, but I don't think Vinicius is going anywhere. And so if you've got that and you're only playing one striker, there's, uh, as we said earlier, minimal amount of games. And I wonder if we start to see a change in shape that allows Fulham to actually make the most of the crossing abilities of, of someone like Kenny Tete, have two strikers in the box to hit if Mitrovic is there or not, and actually allows... Fulham to to just kind of shift things around a little bit. Also moves Bassi to left centre back. It's also the kind of thing that if it does happen, I can imagine Fulham buying a centre back on deadline day. You know, to to make this centre back core strong enough to play three at the back at points this season. I think the rest of the team naturally kind of fits into a three four one two kind of shape. To be honest, and and so it's going to be intriguing to see how that works in terms of wingers, what, what it means, and and I suppose the question mark of if you sign Tamara Gray and Callum Hudson-Odoi, does this change a little bit? Maybe. But just generally, I I wouldn't be surprised if Fulham utilise it, maybe not as a plan A, but definitely as a plan B next season. Hmm. Maybe. Sorry, that's a terrible start. (laughs) That's good, I liked it. (laughs) Just noises, generic noises. Uh, Yeah, that's my take. Move on. Uh, (laughs) Very good check. Um... For me, I'd be very surprised if Silver changes much of his basic tactical setup because he just hasn't done that very much throughout his career. I think mainly at Watford and and Hull, 
notably he went to a back three. So it's not like he wouldn't do it. And I, I can understand the case for it. But I think for a three, you need wing backs. And I think that suits Robinson. I don't think that necessarily suits Kenny Tete uh, as a right wing back. But I think for me, I, th- I think Mitrovic is absolutely key. And I think Mitrovic changed something that Silva's done before at his previous clubs. Because I think before Fulham, his main goal scoring outlet was not always the central striker. Um, so if if you take uh, Olympiakos, I think it was Kostas Fortunis, who was the number 10. I think he had his best ever goal scoring season. Uh, with Everton, I think Sigurdsson was his, had his best goal scoring season uh, as well. Um, and I think at Sporting, it was um, Evandro or Jao Mario. I may be getting those confused. No, Estriel was Evandro and uh, Jao Mario. So like it, it tended to be players around the forward and the forward's job would be to sort of bring others into play. Now, with Fulham and Mitrovic, Silva's basically just re-geared the team to just give him opportunities to score goals. Um, and Mitrovic does the, does the creating space for others as well. That's one of the, the key things we've highlighted and talked about his link-up play um, and how important that's been. But certainly, there's been an emphasis on getting him in front of goal to, to, score, to score. And I think if Mitrovic goes how Fulham replace him will be really interesting because I don't see Pereira as necessarily a really goal-scoring 10. Yeah. He's not Fabio Carvalho in the way that he'd, want, he'd find space in behind, go make those runs in beyond. Um, so that that's the difference. And then you look at the wide players as well because if you think back to when he was at, at Watford, it was, it was Richarlison making those runs from the left. Maybe Harry Wilson is probably the, the, the only winger that Fulham have who could do that. Um, Willian... Is, is terrific, but he's far more creative than he is a, a goal-scoring wide player. So I think that's quite an interesting balance because uh, so whether he stays or goes probably changes. I don't think it changes because we know that Fulham are going to recruit a winger. Um, but certainly the way they play, I think, will be interesting. Just the, the change in dynamic at the top end of the pitch. Um, so I think that that's kind of the big tactical thing for me. I I, I can see the rest... Um, I can I can understand a back three, and I, th- I remember we talked about it last year as well because we thought, what if Fulham look vulnerable? What if they look, you know, open in a, in a back four? And they sort of surprised us really in the way that they were so solid. Um, I think they have the tools to use a back three uh, if they wanted to. Um, I think I think two up top is something we've seen it at the end of games when 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 Fulham try to chase matches, whether they're losing or, or searching for a winner. But I think they have to be quite different profiles. And I would say Jimenez is quite similar, or at least he's similar to Mitrovic. I don't know whether that changes anything, as Jack says, that they go out and get someone else. Um, perhaps someone who is more more dynamic, can can make those runs in behind. Um, then you have more of a, a natural sort of fit, I suppose, for, for a two up top. Um, I was quite impressed with Jimenez from, you know, I mean, it's it a preseason game, so I don't know how much you can be impressed. And it was mm. a Chelsea team that was rotating, but... More so with his link-up play. I think that's the one thing with Carlos Vinicius that hasn't really impressed. I think that's the one thing that lacks. I think he's better to feet. We've talked about that. Um, but his all-round play was was pretty good. I felt Fulham looked far more comfortable and more settled and were able to to sustain their attacks a bit better when Jimenez was on the pitch. But He did a really good moment where I think it was basically our only proper shot of the game. I think it was Bobby Deckard over and he shot from a tight angle and it kind of just went across the goal but it was Raul that set up that goal and he battled and he scrapped but he also saw in the corner of his eye that Bobby was making that run to the left hand side and, and was free in the box and slightly by a better time to pass and I think Bobby would have been really in and it would have been a huge chance and that was the moment for me where I was impressed because it was just it was it was smart it was composed from from Raul. Hmm. I guess we just need to see the goals because he had such a difficult season last year yep. um uh, that, that, that's the key thing and I think for fundamentally Fulham have to f- replace the goals because it's, it's it's the main thing for any team to stay in the Premier League you know you need a goal scorer um, and so if you take Mitrovic out someone's got to step up and at the moment I can't necessarily see who will do that yeah uh, and just generally, um, Peter, your thoughts um, from some of the preseason games that you watched? I imagine you probably didn't get to catch all of them. Almost certainly not the Villa one, no, which was, was about <laughs> five in the morning um, by the time it got played in in Orlando. I've been, I mean, Silver seemed pretty concerned by Sunday's game. I mean, rightly so. The defending, particularly for the second one, was 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 borderline shambles. Yeah. I, it's it's quite a thin squad, and I think by the time you got to the end of the week, you've got three games in eight days, of which there's been a lot of travelling. It's just not really 
ideal for a team that's not massively rotating. You know, we saw Chelsea mm. make all those subs quite comically at half time. Um, you know, maybe Fulham could have used more of the the younger players, perhaps. Um, I think in general it, it, there were some good things. I thought the Brentford game looked was pretty good. Fulham looked very sharp, um, considering that you had you know Palina in at centre half, and then obviously Luke de Fugerols has come in and done really well. He's he's, he's certainly impressed a lot of people. Um, I think there is still that element of concern about the final third. <laughs> Without trying to repeat what I was saying before, I, I still think there is that lack. I mean, the goals that were scored um, against Brentford. I mean, you've got a brilliant finish from Harry Wilson and then a brilliant finish from Decadova Reed. It goes back to what everyone sort of criticised Fulham for, particularly in the in the stats community, was about the fact that they were overperforming on their ex- expected goals. Um, but when you break it down, you can understand why and you see that they suffer heavily against the better teams and, and less so against the good ones. Um, but there there is some there is something in that and I do do wonder and about how that will develop. Um, Sasa Lukic was interesting for me. Obviously, he's interesting because Palini has injured his shoulder uh, and we don't know the ex- the extent of that and how long he'll be out for. Obviously, Lukic isn't necessarily Palina's replacement, but he's been playing as the six, um, and that that really does change the way Fulham play. Like he's he's far more of a controller on the ball. He likes to dictate the tempo. Um, I think he showed some good moments, and I think you know after six months of sort of bedding in, this is his sort of moment to make an impression. Um, you know, it wasn't easy. It's never going to be easy if you're moving to a new country with a new language and, and everything else that comes with it and a new league, which is very different stylistically and Fulham play very differently to, 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 to Torino. Yeah. Um, but I think now will sort of be the time where we see more from, from him. Um, and I think he could change the look of how Fulham play in midfield because of just his on the ball ability, um, which I think we've seen some signs of in, in preseason. But yeah, I think overall it's hard to make too many conclusions from, from the games. Um, yeah. Just, just because of the nature of them, because of the players that were available, because of who could still come in. Um, so yeah, I think Fulham did well. I think that's. I wasn't. There was nothing there that really alarmed me greatly. I know. I know the Chelsea game they were a bit open, but for me, it was. It was after the, the week that they'd had out there, and I just, I you know, I didn't really put too much stock onto that. So um, overall, generally, moderately encouraging. And, and then I'm just trying. I'm trying to relate back to last year because last year. I mean, the, the, t- the squad was much thinner than it was, but the performances in preseason were okay, were pretty good. And then it got to the, the Estriel game and they played really well and then played against Villarreal and looked really good. And it was this sort of, you know, silver unhappy with team playing well. I don't think we're too far away from that. I think the team are playing pretty good. I think, you know, the squad's in a better place than it was last year. So, um, yeah, I'm not too concerned is my, my overall take. <laughs> I'm looking forward yeah. to Saturday to watching it uh, in person. Again, yeah, we're playing uh, Hoffenheim at the Cottage, 1pm uh, kickoff on Saturday. Uh, the kind of uh, traditional thing that Fulham do, seem to have one pre-season friendly at, uh, at Craven Cottage before uh, before starting the season. Uh, and we'll take a break there. Afterwards, we'll get into some of your questions and then a brief, this will catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Peter and Jack. This time next week, um, we're trying to organise it that me, Peter and Jack actually meet up and do a proper season review. Uh, it's where we uh, give our predictions that we then can uh, see how wrong we were uh, or are uh, back uh, in May. So uh, make sure you're listening to uh, to next Thursday for a much uh, awaited season review. Uh, it's often our most listened to podcast of the season as well. So uh, we'll be trying to uh, get that ready for you this time next week. Uh, let's do some questions and then the return of this will catch on. Uh, again, the rules of this will catch on as long as Fulham are playing okay and uh, no one's kind of uh, getting too upset that we'll keep doing this will catch on um, we didn't think we'd get to do it last season and then Fulham finished 10th so we kind of carried on all season but uh, it's not, I, I, I still have my feeling that it's not going to be as fun when we're 20th and uh, and, and plummeting if, down the lead if, 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 come on well, one day, one day, it, it'll all, it gets you in the end relegation. You can't can't stay in the Premier League forever. It comes it comes for everyone uh, in the end. Let's do some questions before all of that, though. This is from Evan. Uh, he says, hello, Fulhamish. I have a couple of quick questions regarding player contracts in football. One, if a player decides not to play for a team, does the club have the obligation not to pay that player? And maybe the ability to find that player as well. Furthermore, is the club still liable for FFP for the wages, even if they aren't paying? paying the player those wages during the holdout. 
Seeking clarity given the Metro situation, enjoy the summer series in the United States. And that's from Evan. I mean, as far as I'm aware, Jack, you pay them regardless of whether they're on strike, really. I, I mean, I guess there's always a point where maybe if, if a player for the season refuses to play, but that's a long, difficult, complicated legal road to go down. Yeah, absolutely. There would be lawyers involved in that, I believe. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously you can fine a player. And I, I assume you can find a player up to the total value of their wages. So you can you, you can definitely, there are sort of things that can happen. But yes, you would still be liable for FFP, I think is the uh, the easy answer to that. Uh, whether you can not play a, pay a player's wages, I, I don't believe so. But I imagine Peter will probably know better than me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, the, the contract, I don't think contracts are written based on because if a player's yeah. injured, you'd have to play them. So, like, well, exactly, it's a yeah. different and if, sort of story, I suppose. If it's what if the manager doesn't want to include them in a squad every week? You know, it's, mm. it's just, it works in reverse as well. So, um, yeah, uh, breach of contract would be the thing, and it becomes more of a legal issue, doesn't it? Um, whether you're not training or fulfilling your what you're con- contractually obliged to do. Um, you know, Mitrovic has been training, so. Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to go into the legal side of things. I'm not no, fully no, no. I think, I think on, the, on the facts, but um. I, I think that there's an element of if it, there's probably a line between, oh, my head's not right. I shouldn't be playing, and also whether a player is going to be detrimental for the team if they if they play. It's probably a, a really difficult grey area between going on strike and just they're clearly not in the right headspace to play football and, and the lines between them are probably extremely blurred. It's probably like drawing a, uh, a paint line in water, um, I, I'd imagine, trying to prove it one way or the other. And, and obviously right now, I think it's probably a case of let's not play him in the summer series because his head's clearly not in the right space to be playing football. One thing that I am intrigued though by Peter is how Mitrovic has been saying that he wants to go to Al-Halal and how can he know what Al-Halal are offering other than just it's obvious from what everyone else is getting without Fulham accepting a bid because that's kind of 101 of football transfers right the club gives the other club the right to speak to them and then negotiate terms so is it just through his agent or is he just saying they're obviously going to pay you this and there's no way of that being stopped. But surely there can't have been formal negotiations between Fulham and Al-Halal unless they're just not playing by the rules. Yeah, so you're sort of referring to to, to tapping up there. And, I, you know, I think it's understandable. Um, it's it's one of those issues which is really quite common uh, across the game. I think, you know, there, there, there's probably a difference between, you know, the, just to clarify what the rules are, the rules are, as you're saying, you know, the club has to have a bit accepted before they can speak with another player. It's why you'll get managers never, very rarely will speak about another player's, another club's player. Mm. Um, You know, there is that sort of fine line. I think it's quite common practice really. And I think if you're an agent worth your salt, you'll know the market value for your player. You'll know what interest there is uh, in your player, in your client. um, And they will communicate that with the club. So sometimes it's never directly with the, the player themselves. Um, now it is very, it's a very gray area. Um, and it's become gray because most clubs tend to, to practice it. So the most, I think we, we've seen some pretty high profile instances where clubs have been very unhappy, such as the, the Van Dyke incident, you know, with, with Southampton to Liverpool, Southampton were pretty unhappy about the way Liverpool were doing things, um, and then went public. But, you know, that's sort of like a nuclear option, I suppose, um, in terms of relationships and things. So, um, yeah, I can't. It's the rules are what they are, but the practice in general is 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 pretty grey. Yeah, I mean, I, I just add to this, and I think the key word here is intermediaries, and whether that's an agent or family members or anyone else close to a player, the rules are relatively clear. You can't talk directly to a player, so Al Halal could not speak to Mitrovic unless Fulham accepted a bid for them. What they can do is talk to Mitrovic's agent and talk to Mitrovic's family and be like, this is how much we'd be offering him. And so this becomes, as Peter says, it's a really murky kind of line because obviously 
they can't be seen to go to Mitrovic and be like, hey, we'd offer you 400 grand a week. What they can do is go, we would be interested in offering Alexander Mitrovic 400 grand a week to his agent and family. It's exactly the same, but that's the like kind of line in the sand. As far as, you know, I'm aware, we talked about this a bit on ranks. We had a really similar question about from a Tottenham fan about Harry Kane. You know, they were like, how can Bayern be offering him? And, and, you know, Mason Mount had agreed. How can players have agreed personal terms before a bid is accepted? And the truth is that they haven't agreed personal terms. They basically acknowledged that the personal terms would be acceptable. And then the club come in and bid. And much as it's not a particularly, you know, nice way of hearing about things, ultimately, it's just the way that everything works. And Fulham will be doing exactly the same. Right. You know, it works the whole way around the merry-go-round, the whole way around the football circuit. You kind of have to know that a player is interested before you make a public bid, because if the player doesn't isn't interested, why would you embarrass, in inverted commas, yourself by making a bid and then the player being like, nah, you're right, actually. Thanks, Chief. Like that doesn't happen. You don't tend to see players get bidded for unless they know the bidding club know that there is at least some interest on the player's part. And that that's basically how the transfer market works. Hmm. Otherwise you're wasting your time and there's not much time when you have, especially when you've got lots of targets and things like that. So, yeah, it, it feels like not much this, this difference in real life where someone might speak to you down the pub. Oh, you should come work for me. I could pay you this. I, I guess, how can you ever legislate people having conversations and chatting and, and stuff like that? I mean, you could maybe say that you can't chat to that player, but you can't chat to Mitro's cousin's third remove that uh, uh, I don't know pass on the message. His house. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, pass on a message. They'd be interested in you, mate. I've heard that. So it's it's just annoying though, because as you say, I feel like we've been seeing it from outlets mostly coming out of Saudi Arabia. I mean, are they outlets or the Twitter accounts? It's quite hard to tell sometimes, um, especially as everyone has a blue tick these days. Um, as to oh, Mitrovic has agreed. I was like, how can he have agreed? There's no way that that's like allowed. I think even by Saudi, played by the rules to that extent um so yeah we'll uh we'll wait and see one more question uh thank you for that one evan uh here from uh jacob Harmon. uh email subject is deadwood discussion says hi sammy hope all is good given the concerns around our fairly lean squad going into next season i'd be interested to get the gang's thoughts on players like tony knockers cavalero and congolo should we be concerned that they are still around at the beginning of august given the general consensus that none of them have a future at fulham but all are contracted until 2024 unless i'm mistaken and absorbing not insignificant wages um, he also says, I moved to Singapore from the UK last year. I wanted to give you a quick thank you for keeping me connected with all things Fulham. Needless to say, it's not rife uh, with Fulham fans out here. Cheers, Jacob. Hope all's good in Singapore. Um, Jack, yeah. I mean, there's still just lots of these. The, the, the hangover of 2019 is is real. Yeah. Yeah, the Scott Parker legacy. Um, it's... Yeah, it's it, it's not great having them about, but it is what it is, right? So you just got to kind of understand those players were loaned out last year. They've obviously not done enough on a loan deal to immediately get someone to to pick them up on a permanent deal. Equally, clubs will be looking at them and going, well, they're clearly not involved at Fulham. We can make a cheeky deadline day bid of you know uh, far below market value, and we know that Fulham want them off the books. We can have these discussions with their, uh, you know, representatives before that, but we don't need to do it until right there because we know that Fulham will want to have the option to, you know, remove those players from the squad. The kind of problem with having Deadwood about is that everybody knows it. And so no one's going to pay top dollar for those players because they know that Fulham want them off the books. And and so that makes it quite difficult to make it work in that regard because it's, it's quite tricky. So... I would imagine that at least two of those players will be gone by the time that all that September the 1st comes around. But if I was a bidding team, I would also be holding fire on this because it makes sense to try and get the lowest possible value on deadline day when players are, when Fulham are trying to get players off the books. Can we get Tony Khan to do a Todd Bowley and just uh, take a flight out to Saudi Arabia and uh, with his with his black book of players and say, do you want any of these guys? These guys are great. Tony Knockers, have you seen how many stepos he can do? He can sit in top bins. He's great value. Um, I feel like we need to get Tony to do the uh, the Saudi tour. Not that he uh, potentially should go there after uh, after some recent comments. Um, right, let's get into this will catch on. And uh, two entries today. Uh, this first one is from... Tom Fauntleroy, nearly as hard to say as Fougerol. Um, quite simple email. Here's a song. 
Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison Blues for Zhao Polina. Love the show. Tommy from Kentucky. I hope we so, do a Folsom Prison Blues for Fuja Rolls when it comes around. <laughs> the Fuja Roll fr- Prison Blues. I, if I could ever say that name correctly, I'm going to get there one day, but I am still butchering that name. It's been at least like three or four pods now. So uh, here is Tommy from Kentucky's entry for Zhao Polina. I hear Paulina coming. He's in my face again. <laughs> And I ain't got a pass off since I don't know when. It's like I'm stuck in Polina prison. <laughs> Please, Jal, just leave me be. <laughs> but every time I touch the damn ball, he comes and tackles me. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Have you missed it, Peter? I'm a bit confused. I'm sorry. <laughs> What's going on here? It's the accent as well. Kills me. That is so jokes. Blimey. Oh, I'm dead. Catching on, Jack? Absolutely not. <laughs> Get that belted out in the pub. That is so good, though. I really enjoyed it. There's no way that's catching on, but it doesn't mean that it's not absolutely brilliant. That's really tickled me. That's very good. Oh, that I was really good. a lot. Um, final one from friend of the pod, uh, Tim Clark. Um, he said, Hey Sammy, uh, I thought I'd get this on the radar. Um, given that, uh, silver is probably leaving. Uh, he sent this a few weeks ago. So Tim doesn't look like he is. Um, Great. it's to the tune of, and this is apt given the tournament that's happening in the country right now. Waltzing Matilda. Um, and this is Tim's effort for Marco Silva. Marco Silva, Marco Silva, we've got Marco Silva, you see, cause he came and he saw, and he took us to the Premier League, we've got Marco Silva, you see. It's really nice. It's actually just very nice. Nice, very pleasant. pleasant. Very pleasant. I liked it a lot. Um, I actually think that, like, I mean, I mean, Stillable Police are going to have a field day, but <laughs> I like I like waltzing Matilda though as a chant. Like, I feel like maybe that's uh, one of those like underrated easy ones that everyone at least knows the tune to. Sing that on the way home from a one nil win. Yeah, put that on the train on the way home from a one nil win. <laughs> on the way back from City, that'd be With nice. Pat lunch. Yeah, it feels like maybe if if the vibe on the uh, on the train back from away day goes from uh, cans and uh, dance music more to um, get a guitar and a campfire kind of vibe. Yeah, it was a bit cool, maybe, but I really yeah, I, I look very nice, very pleasant. It might catch on. I think it's got more of a chance of catching on, but yeah, I I I, I, I think it might just be maybe it's just the version of it which is very slow. You have to like give that a real truly madly deeply hardcore as treatment to really actually get it to uh, to tick on but we'll see how we go yeah all right well that'll do for this will catch on and that will do for today's podcast uh we're going to be um back on monday with a bit of a look back at hoffenheim but i think it's going to be more of a transfers episode uh truth be told uh, we will do the key takeaways though from the uh from the hoffenheim friendly but uh feels more pertinent to really do a proper transfer show as we haven't done one uh in a couple of weeks we'll see if we can get the band back together for that one um peter lovely to have you back on oh thanks for having me and Jack, thank you as ever. Always a pleasure, Sammy. Have a top weekend, everyone. If you're going to the Hoffenheim game, enjoy it. And if not, have a great weekend anyway. Come on, you whites. You whites.